hey, we're finally in order now. I mean, in, in terms of the comics. Yeah, which is great, but in true Ranger Splane fashion, you missed the vote on covering the gay arc during Pride Month. Well, it's out in time for Queer Wrath Month. Uh, this episode's coming out in August, Sid. Fine, Queer Sloth Month, then. Yeah, that works. I'm a polyamorous bird woman of the woods, Ashley. And I'm Heckle's sweet age line, Sid. And this is Ranger Splane, where Sid, enthusiastic lifelong Power Rangers fan, takes me, Ashley, reluctant new fan, through the world of Power Rangers and Power Rangers accessories. And as we previously mentioned, we are kind of back on our usual timeline with the comics, and we are covering Beyond the Grid this month. So, what's going on there? Following the events of Shattered Grid, the rangers aboard the Promethea find themselves in another dimension known as the Void. Lacking access to the Morphin Grid, the ragtag team spends a month searching for a solution to get back home. When a mysterious purple ranger named Ari steals what's left of their powers with a device known as the Solarix, while being pursued by a warlord known as the Praetor, the group finds themselves in a mysterious web to find their way back home. So... Yeah, as Sid noted when we were uh, reading this, this is a little bit more of a quote-unquote breather arc, but that doesn't mean that nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I guess this gets my kind of term of, like, taking a break from the story. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, like, conflate it with, and, and for a while it kind of got conflated colloquially with, like, filler, even though filler is specifically about a anime episode that's put in just to make sure it won't, like, overtake the manga. Uh -huh. But it, it's more or less like, okay, we've done with the story, it's time to, you know, for now, and we need this this kind of breath, kind of get to know some characters, and, and do those type of things that kind of feel very separate from the main timeline. Right. And so just kind of do the consequences of, you know... This being the ragtag group of rangers that were going on the mission to save, like, the, save some of the rangers from the moon prison uh, during Shattered Grid and got like, blasted into another dimension. This focuses very much on the non-Mighty Morphin Power Rangers rangers. Obviously, you have Ranger Slayer Kim, but then, like, you have Cam from Ninja Storm, Heckle, who became a Power Ranger, like, off-screen after Dino Charge, Andros is there for some reason... <laughs> Yeah. But I think it gives a, a real opportunity to kind of focus on a lot of rangers who don't really get a whole ton of focus, minus Andros. Um, <laughs> You're like, this podcast is going to be about my beef with Andros. Oh, it's been about my beef with Andros since In Space. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, I think, it, like, especially with the inclusion of Mike, like Mike and Tanya, like, there's a lot of opportunity in this particular book to kind of focus on rangers who you know, don't always get the spotlight or haven't really been considered by canon in particular ways since their season. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of one of those things that I think you noted when we were talking about this, you really don't see this outside of kind of the one-off graphic novels where there is time to focus on 
other characters. And I, I do understand it from, from at least a bit of a marketing standpoint that, you know, you're trying to catch the eye of probably adult fans that haven't thought about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers since it came out. <laughs> right. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you kind of want to hear stories about the other characters sometimes and how they're doing and maybe see something that they can struggle with. And I definitely appreciated that about this book or this this arc more than anything is like, OK, yeah, I I do want to break from like Tommy and <laughs> Billy and 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 Zach and Trini and Jason and Cam- and sort of Kimberly. Because it just feels like their story has just been told so many times. I'm like, I'm kind of interested in the other stories, you know. I'm interested in Corone and Andros having a weird dynamic because this Andros is like the beginning of In Space and still doesn't even know that Corone is alive. Meanwhile, this Corone is just like, she's gotten over being an astronomer and has been a ranger for a while. So. Right. And so, yeah, kind of getting to see them interact. As much as I hate on Andros, I, um... Getting to kind of see them interact with each other on those two different points of the timeline is definitely very interesting. Yeah. Um, And because that was like something from that was touched upon briefly in Shattered Grid that now kind of gets a little bit more exploration in this one. Uh, Yeah. And then we have it's kind of weird how this is a very gay story. Oh, yeah. This is gay, gay, homosexual, gay. Yeah. There's only one character in it who is confirmed to be queer, which is our. Well, no, there's two because it's Ari Dude, and Remy. Because they're girlfriends. They kiss and hold hands. <laughs> <laughs> but Ari and Remy are confirmed to be, you know, queer, obviously. But like, even then, there's still this just this air of like queerness throughout the entire story that I could totally see why like straight people don't fucking catch on to it. Yeah, one of the, like, a lot of elements of kind of, like, you know, having to leave a life behind or guilt of something, like guilt of a relative or, and just even, like, you know, I've been through a change, too, and you're not alone, and uh, I said, like, found family is always a big thing in, like, queer culture because, quite frankly, you do find a family most of the time because your family actually will just sometimes flat out reject who you are. Right. So... Yeah, so I think a big part of, because a big part of this particular story is that, like, Ari has been, basic. she has been the only ranger in this void dimension for, like, years now. And she's basically running on fumes, like, figuratively and literally, because the Solarix is very temperamental. Yeah. And doesn't always have the energy she needs. But she's been, she's basically, like... Yeah, she has Remy with her, who is basically her um, her constant companion. <laughs> and I mean that in the absolute lesbian sense of the term. Sportsmanship. Sportsmanship, yes. They have a very good sportsmanship. <laughs> I will explain that meme later, I promise. Um, <laughs> but, sh- like, in terms of being a ranger, and she has been going out this alone. And... That is something that the rangers immediately recognize, because initially they, you know, they think Ari might be a villain who's stealing their powers, but then when they learn her circumstances, they're like, oh no, you've been going at this alone when you really shouldn't have. Come come here, you, you are, you are a ranger, you are our family now. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, because there's even a bit where, like, Heckle says something about, like, okay, vote in favor for taking in the war orphan or something like that. Like, I forget how exactly he phrases it, but it's basically just like, oh no, like, she's got a tragic backstory, she's been going at this alone, we can't leave her behind. Is kind of a lot of the attitude around Ari as soon as the Rangers learn what her backstory is. Yeah. And then I think also kind of part of that amongst, like, the the queer subtext of it all, and the queer text of it all, is that it's also kind of about finding hope within the darkness. Yeah, it's one of the things I actually looked up about when it was written, and it's like 2018, 2019, so this is, well, definitely before the pandemic, but uh, it was definitely, like, in the middle of the Trump era. And one of the things that has always been a thing in my head when doing any sort of analysis is something my... um, my film teacher, my film and uh, theory teacher taught me in uh, college, which was everything has basically like you got to look at the time period because everything kind of will will f- tell you about kind of the politics of the time and all that. You know, I'm 21. I'm thinking that's horseshit. And then I thought about the Star Wars prequels mm-hmm. and how say what you will about those prequels uh george lucas is very on the nose in those movies of how he does not like he did not like bush jr yeah especially in revenge of the sith is very because that one was explicitly made after the iraq war started and like um if, if there's anything that tells you the thesis of like what that movie is trying to say and george lucas's politics is so this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is, that is George Lucas saying, I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, I didn't, you know, uh, we, we some, often time of times talk about Star Trek. Star Trek is also one that does not believe in subtlety, but. Oh, God, uh, no. <laughs> I definitely think about that and it's, it's, it's the Trump years and influence on pop culture. We, there is a lot of stuff and including this that just have this like, you are in dire circumstances. Everything looks grim, but there's still like that sliver of hope at the like bottom of the box. Right. You know, and, you know, maybe things will turn out okay. And I kind of, you know, it's like, I did that, definitely having that conscious look, oh, okay, this is this is why this message is in there. Mm-hmm. Which I think is still a message prevalent, but particularly at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, again, you also have, like, the community and, and everything. But yeah, I guess I, I just wanted to touch on that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, yeah, especially, like, written during the Trump era with, like, written by a queer woman. And basically, it's a very queer story about, you know, a you know a group of misfits uh, essentially <laughs> having to fight back against like a big scary warlord who basically just gives his followers false promises. Yeah, he's also in some ways a godlike being, an individual. Yeah, yeah. So you you definitely have this like larger than life, you know kind of presence there like how do we defeat a god and, um, yeah I, it's one of those things that's like obviously you know these are not just queer interpretations of community and everything but i do find it you know that's definitely a bigger thing in queer kind of subtext and just text in general in its writing is just that finding of community 
and coming together because you you still have all the non-rangers on board the ship and uh they're all the rangers who've been depowered and they're helping out in various ways even though you see them kind of little briefly so yeah you know it's pretty much we're stuck here and all that all right, so we talked about the plot, so we'll talk about the characters in just a second. But first, as always with the comics, we want to go over our creator credits. Um, so as we mentioned, our writer is Marguerite Bennett. Artists are uh, Simone DiMeo, with assistance by uh, Alessandro Capuccio and Alessio Zono. French Carlo Mongo, uh, who also did colors for one issue. And Francesco Mortorino. Our colors by Walter Biamonte, with assistance by Francesco Segala. Eleonora Bruni and Whitney Kogar, and letters, as always, by Ed Dukeshire. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our characters. So, as we mentioned, Ranger Slayer Kim is kind of our, our somewhat lead of this, and she is kind of the leader of the group, despite Andrews being there. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that uh, that was kind of like a first thing that you pointed out, and I also noticed is that Ranger Slayer is you know is in that leadership position that i feel like if this was in the show andrus would be shown in because he's he's the red ranger yeah and but at this point it's like okay you have to think about it from where she is in her timeline and where everyone else is and relative comparison is that she's the most experienced ranger oh yeah like flat out yeah she is she is the most experienced. She's also been through a lot more hardships. Not to say it isn't sucky what happened with Andros, because, you know, he did lose his squad and everything. But, you know, Andros isn't... It's one of the things at the beginning of the show, you kind of realize, like, Andros really does not know how to lead. No, he does not. Hey, like, that's a huge fight between him and, like, TJ from the um, from Shattered Grid about basically how TJ is still in the sense of, like, well... I I'm the Red Ranger. I I used to be the Red Ranger. I'm the leader. I I can't like TJ does not gracefully give up his uh leadership position the way that like Jason does in Mighty Morphin. Yeah. And honestly, he shouldn't. <laughs> no, it's like you were the better leader and this guy it's like you guys are yeah under you know, Andrus is, you know, whatever, because it's, you know, his ranger powers, but at the same time, I'm like, Andrus doesn't know how to lead, you know how to lead this team, you've been leading this team for about a year. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, and I, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that's kind of been an ongoing beef I have with Power Rangers, is that, like, oftentimes, like, it's automatically like, well, you're the Red Ranger, or in the cases of Tommy, well, you're the right ranger now, and you're also the most popular, so you're the leader, and we're not going to have any sort of consensus from the rest of the team on this. Like, you sort of get that a little bit in Wild Force. Mm-hmm. Because Taylor does, like, initially balk at Cole. Uh, people, it's, you know, people were actually like, hey, Cole, it isn't anything you did. It's just she's you, she was leading the team for so long and it was actually just her and Shayla for so long. And so, like, but that's, a, like, even in that case, like, it's still something I've just had issues with with power rangers for so long i'm just like well this person has the red power so therefore they're the leader then yeah yeah. no it's so dumb it's just like like the lying like because i was gonna bring up cole it's like cole was just you know slapped in there yeah like well he's red ranger so he gets to be leader i'm like why he's just some random dude that the lion chose yeah like he like what leadership like he literally is not like here because he left the jungle to try and find out what happened to his parents 
And like, he doesn't even know, like, he doesn't know this team long enough. You just, it's kind of like I'm designating a group leader out of like a bunch of friends and one person isn't the friend. And it's like, it's the person that isn't the friend is the group leader. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) So, but back at it, it's like, I do um, definitely like the fact that they're like, no, let's actually go with the more experienced ranger who's, you know, like. Kim has done a lot of leading in the underground. Like, we do see her as kind of a squad leader every now and then and everything. So she has this leadership experience. She has a lot of ranger experience. It makes sense to have her be kind of the leader. Also, I think she's a little older than everyone else. It's kind of... That's kind of the implication I get from a lot of the coin lists is they're a lot older. Yeah, because it's been at least, like, several years, at least a decade, at least... I, I've said at least there like three times, I know, but you know, it's been some time since Tommy got his powers from Rita and they had the initial like conflict of trying to keep him from getting the the uh white the power of the white light. Yeah. So a lot of the times when they are at where they're at in the coin list, it's just that they've been trying to survive for probably ten plus years now. Yeah, it feels it feels like a lot of them are in their basically in their late twenties at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, you're dealing with people who are like teenage to early 20s. Yeah, which is a definitely like you don't think of that as a huge age difference. But then like when you actually experience it, you're like, oh, my God, I am so much older than these guys. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> no, no offense to, to, to younger people, but it, and it isn't. It's just you'll 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 feel it too when you get to that age. Yeah, you'll definitely feel like oh, I'm so much younger than some of these people. Yeah, I also you know, kind of going back on the age thing. I think that's why she probably is friends with Heckle because Heckle has he's a lot older too. So, I mean, a lot older and has also gone through similar enough experiences. Hmm. Because like you know he has the trauma of. Having lost his planet, um, having basically lost himself to Snide, and then, like, he's lost, like, friends and mentors along the way. So, I think, yeah, she definitely, I think, for them, they're kind of, like, the quote-unquote team adults. (laughs) Yeah. Just because they've experienced so much, and they, like, they definitely kind of have that, that bonding through it. So, and but kind of getting on to Kim for a second, kind of her main arc, and I think this is something that l- appears that it's going to be ongoing throughout, like, every time we see Ranger Slayer. I know that, like, Necessary Evil and Dracon New Dawn kind of overlap with each other in terms of the timeline. As we mentioned, a big part of her arc is kind of getting over her fears of getting close with people again, and also her fear of becoming evil again. Yeah. I think we see her make that progress, especially, like, the in the issue where we learn about Heckle's backstory and how he ended up getting ranger powers, is that she makes this whole comment about, like, basically, like, what she had, like, because basically they're sitting around, it's Cam, Kim, and Heckle are sitting, like, somewhere on the Promethea, like, drinking tea, and Heckle tells the backstory, and she kind of, t- she makes this mention of, that she's holding a powerful elixir, which mm. uh, happens when people get together and share it. They find, basically, I forget how exactly she phrases it, but basically that they find, like, solace and comfort within each other. Yeah. Which is basically just her saying that when, it's like, finding that companionship is important. And that, mm-hmm. you know, that's how you kind of 
move forward a bit from the, like the bad things that have happened to you. I'm thinking about like, and it, you know, like when she's talking about sharing the elixir, it's it's one of those things. It's like when you are getting to know people and everything. One of the more common things, one of the common most shared things, is like food and beverage. Mm-hmm. You know, you you sit and ta- you sit at a table and eat together and talk, or you drink tea together. These are common. It's a common ground that we all share as humans. You know, it's kind of a neat little metaphor. Yeah, it's nice. But yeah, and it's also brought up in the, the dialogue when you first um, kind of have kind of the whole thing with Ari, like being a ranger and something she kind of sees with everybody, I'm guessing due to like her own powers, is she kind of talks about everyone kind of has something like... So she kind of is able to feel everyone's kind of weirdness that's going on and kind of their big character arc. And with Ranger Slayer, she felt fear. Yep. You know. And then kind of pointed out again with um, Praetor. Uh-huh. I'm sorry if I pronounce it wrong. And he's going through basically, here's all these weirdos and this is why you don't stand a chance and whatever, you know, doing that villain's thing. Uh he kind of goes like to Kim, Ranger Slayer Kim, killer who will kill again, traitor who will betray again. Do you fear the rejection half as much as you fear your own thirst for violence? So, you know, because she has been, you know, she has been in those situations and yeah, she was brainwashed for a while. Like that, there is that big fear. It's like, am I going to be, you know, basically, <laughs> am I going to betray everyone? Am I going to turn evil again? You know, what's stopping me? Uh-huh. And it's, also her thing of you know that pauses her from getting to know people you know other than you know she's seen such mass loss in her life you know it's it's kind of like you know mix of like what's why do i need to get to know people because they'll just die or i will kill them Uh and so her kind of again kind of showing through leadership but also like showing getting getting particularly close to like heckle and ari She's kind of realizing, like, no, it's okay to get close to people, you know? Yeah, and I think that leaves her, I guess in a way, kind of leaves her heart open to move forward. Like, once they're able to escape the void and move forward back into their own dimension. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's very uh, Hideki-ano. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would say that, yeah. Yeah, it's, what if... Hideki-Anno's, uh themes we've noticed through at least two of his works is he definitely talks about human interaction. Oh, yeah. Sure. Everyone knows Avon Gillian, but please watch Cutie Honey. Yes, yes, it is a prevalent thing in his Cutie Honey movie. Um, <laughs> and which I still need to see um, Shin Kamen Rider, but when uh, people said, oh, yeah, Shin Kamen Rider is like the most important thing you need to watch going into it is Cutie, uh, is Hidekiyano's Cutie Honey. I'm like, yes, justice. Yes. <laughs> he just, re- it, like, he should get to do Shin Cutie Honey, and it's the same story, but he, he gets, like, a better budget. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of like the, like, lack of budget with the, the first that attempt. Is, so That is true. But in any case, just a slight, slightly better wig budget. Yeah, let's just go for a slightly (laughs) better wig budget. I think we'll be okay. Um, (laughs) All right. So as we mentioned, like she's obviously close to Heckle, but I think she also like she finds companionship within Ari. Yeah. And I think it is a little bit of that. Oh, no, you are so lost and alone. I, I need to help you kind of situation. It's like I've been here before. 
So, and I've mostly gotten through it. Yeah. So let me help you out. It, it kind of reminds me, I'm, I'm not going to go into two big spoilers here because like you haven't watched Strange New Worlds yet, but it kind of reminds me of how La'an, uh, who's the security officer uh, or the Enterprise, towards the end of season one, she basically finds a, like they find a girl while they're on a mission who's basically gone through all of the same trauma she's went through as a child with the Gorn. And basically La'an is just like, I need to help this girl. I'm going to take a leave of absence from the Enterprise. <laughs> so, like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like uh, Ranger Slayer, Kimberly Hart, and La Nooney and Singh would uh, would have a uh, a certain understanding, <laughs> is all I'm trying yeah. to say. <laughs> also, I just want to notate her hair. It's, it's queerer than ever before. Yeah, I... It's- I don't know if it was just the edict of, like, making this book as gay as possible, but somehow, yeah, her hair has gotten gayer, and it was already plenty gay. Yeah. All right, we've already talked a little bit about him, uh, so let's go ahead and move on to Heckle. And as Sid noted here with the first note of, this bitch is back. This <laughs> bitch. But also, essentially, uh, if you if you aren't aware, of, somebody posted a tweet a while ago, like, this old clip of Gonzo, and he's just he just yells, GUILT! While looking directly like, at the camera. <laughs> looking at, and somebody went, this is what anxiety is. It's just this clip. And I'm like, this is Heckle. Yeah. Because basically, when so when the time shenanigans happen at the end of Dino Charge, where, you know, obviously everybody goes back to the dinosaur times. And then once they, you know, once they kill off um, Sledge and all that. And what, they, one of the many deaths Sledge has endured. Yes. Um, and save the dinosaurs from being wiped out of existence, which I, that's not how any of that worked, but okay. <laughs> this is, this is one of those that's like, damn, okay, I know you're a kid's show, but this is bad. Yeah, no, I, I love Dino Charge, but I hate the ending of Dino Charge. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, everything's saved, so, like, most of the rangers go back to their own time, including, like, Coda and... Uh, Ivan. Ivan. Uh, but then Heckle goes with Zenowing to learn about how to protect the Dark Energy and they go back in time to... I forget how far back they go, but they go back in time to before Sentai 6 was destroyed. Um, Sentai 6 being, like, obviously yeah. uh, Heckle's home planet. And so, like, basically Zenowing takes him back there, makes sure that, like, they can save the timeline to keep Sentai 6 from being destroyed. And... It's interesting because he learns how to like heart like protect and harness the dark energy and also kind of makes himself into a power ranger. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's spending his time as a monk, but like it sounds like he might be in a polycule mark. <laughs> yeah, cuz basically Zeno Wang is like, "Hey, you should like actually go out there and like experience life and meet people." And so, like, he goes out into, like, the nearest village, I guess, and, like, he meets, like, this village who's doing, like, this winter, like, ceremony where they're making circles around the fire, and he meets, like, this bird woman named Ilya and this, um, like, deer centaur named Rydan. And I don't, the entire vibe of Ilya and Raidan is, hey, we saw you from across, like, the ceremony circle, and we really like your vibe. Can we get you a drink? Yeah, that was very much that moment. So I'm like- They were unicorn hunters. Yeah, um, and Heckle was the unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I was just like, is there like a, like there's a weird polyamorous vibe going on here. Probably, I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but. (laughs) I mean, we are on a pagan fantasy planet, so who knows? (laughs) Yeah, so like, yeah, sure. Like heckles in a polycule with a bird lady and and a centaur. Like, sure, why not? It's Power Rangers. Let's just say that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, basically he... He feels responsible for Zenowing's death because Zenowing basically dies to protect him. Yeah, because he ends up accessing the Dark Energem to destroy Snide um, and be a Power Ranger, which was kind of not in plan, and he wasn't controlling his powers quite right, and Zenowing had to kind of step in and died, I think, actually, in Heckle's arms. Yeah. In space. Yeah. So, like, he, and he gives, like, Heckle this beautiful goodbye speech, but you should just tell that Heckle has just been carrying this with him for yeah, an unspecified amount of like time. It just feels very exile. awful about it. Yeah. Cause I, at the beginning so of the book, guilty. he meets, he sees Tyler. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can't tell if that Tyler recognizes him or not. Cause it's kind of implied that he's kind of in a shifted timeline away from that Tyler, especially. Yeah. But yeah, it's like he he can definitely tell when he meets up with the Tyler that he just feels very bad about something. <laughs> and doesn't actually like he does not stick around to talk to him. No. I mean Tyler would be like, "That's rough, buddy." Yeah. Do you want a hug? <laughs> yeah, that's that that would be the Tyler Navarro approach to learning about Heckle's tragic backstory. <laughs> like he just tried to make him happy. I know. Tyler's a good boy. <laughs> Tyler's a good boy. But yeah, uh, he also kind of, with his own experience, uh, we kind of put it, he kind of becomes second in command, unofficially, of the Rangers. Yeah, and so, like, there, you definitely get a lot of scenes of him and Kim kind of, like, playing off of each other in dialogue. And it's, I, I think it's it's just such an interesting dynamic. Oh, yeah. It's been a, yeah, it's, it's just been a while since we've seen Heckle and... Kind of to see where he is now. And I love that enough time has passed that he has, like, age lines and scars. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I should also note, he does have a sweet coat that was given to him by his, like, his polycule. <laughs> He's wearing his sweet coat. Yeah. Looks good on him. Everywhere I go, I remember them. <laughs> and I think, a, like, a big arc about him is coming to kind of having to learn about forgiving himself. Especially as the story kind of wraps up. Yeah. And I, th- and I, think he, it's, I think he gets there. I think, yeah, he mostly, he, he pretty much mostly gets there, and he's starting to kind of realize, like, you know, shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird way of saying it, but yeah, shit, you know, shit happens. You know, you, you don't know what you could have done differently to save Zinoween's life, and you can't just go and undo it. Right. So, and you're here now, and you're in charge of protecting people now, so, you know, focus on that. Yeah. So, I kind of our next, we're kind of pairing them together because the story does, are Tanya, Tanya Sloan from uh, Zio, and Mike Corbett from Lost Galaxy. And so, a lot of their story is that they kind of end up becoming a couple, and that plays a lot into Mike's insecurities and fears. Yeah. So, I have to say that, like, even like for like even though they're a heterosexual couple in this book, I still give them the honor of like, oh, what a perfectly normal heterosexual couple. Unless Unless <laughs> <laughs> But in any case, like, I think that they're 
Yeah, their arc is very much about kind of coming together and how they kind of play off of their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I definitely saw because it's like their most of their story really was them being a couple, but also like being a healthy couple. Yeah, because there's there's still tension in everything with healthy relationships, but often you know it's still like you know, but you know, it was just kind of interesting, like they're you know like they're playing off their strengths they're also playing off the like the weaknesses of like mike i think mike was really hard to open up about things and he trying to bottles his feelings and tanya's like don't bottle your fucking feelings yeah so like yeah interesting about like tanya points this out is that like she's been time displaced multiple times at this point yeah <laughs> like I think that's something that people forget about Tanya's character a lot because it's like they kind of just I made this mistake of accidentally calling her Aisha a couple of times when we were um when we were doing our Zio episode but like I think a big part of that is like they like after their her initial introduction and you learn about like oh well she's from like several years in the past like not several years in the past but like decades in the past and that she's been time displaced when she moved forward and she's kind of had to struggle with that for like but she only she only struggled with it for like an episode and then like she just started doing normal aisha plots yeah it's one of those it's like we're just flat out replacing aisha yeah so like it's kind of like how like cat was just flat out replacing kim yeah, and you never really get a time to, like, you only get the time to really explore her character for, like, an episode, and then they're just like, well, we're not doing that anymore. No, kids are too <laughs> stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do like the fact that they do specifically address the time displacement with, um, with Tanya. And so, like, and I, I just like the fact that she kind of makes a joke about, like, he kind of just, like, this has happened to me before, you kind of get used to it. Yeah. And then, like, Mike has, like, he just has so much survivor guilt over, like, the fact that, like, he's died once before, he's come back to life, and he's still alive, and also he's worried that, like, he lost Leo. So, yeah, he's, like, like he lost Leo, and he's just, well, he, he doesn't know if he lost Leo, but it's just something that is hanging over him is that he's so worried that he's gonna find out that Leo, like, he'll get back to his time and find out that Leo died during Shattered Grid. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where, like, you can definitely tell he's definitely feeling that weird survival skill. Because he doesn't know if Leo's alive. Uh, you know, he just kind of watched the Rangers get fucked by Lord Draken. And I can, I can, he's also the older brother. And he was, you know, when Leo, you know, went off into space, he was like, well, I gotta take care of my stupid little brother. Uh-huh. And now he's like, oh, wait, I, I, you know, and now it's like, he's my stupid brother and he should be alive. Right. And then, um, so yeah, the fact that he has so much survivor guilt hanging over him is that, like, he nearly betrays the team. Yeah, that was kind of, like, the big thing. It's just, I was kind of like, whoa, okay, it's Mike then, all right. Uh, when they're on the, the Zeo planet and they're kind of getting influenced to take the, um, oh, what's the thing called? The Solarax? Solarix, yeah. Solarix. And you think he, like... It cuts away before that big fight where you're actually seeing him kind of staring down at Ari and it seems like he might have taken it. And he was like, yeah, I almost took it and and did all this, but I didn't. Yeah, because he, like, felt bad about it and, like, came back and returned it. 
as like as much as their story is kind of about them being a couple and like Mike ends up kind of getting the focus of his guilt and nearly betraying them. Like we're we're glad that Tanya really didn't take a back seat in this. Yeah, it didn't it didn't feel so much that Tanya was just there to soothe Mike. You know, mm-hmm. uh which is kind of my my issues of how they always write cat. Um she's so oh, yeah. there to always soothe Tommy. It's like I still see like glimpses of kind of maybe you can kind of see that, but it isn't as hard as it they they have done in the past with with ranger characters who are couples who just just basically let's just completely negate the woman character right so let's kind of move on to our next character because that's like again we're happy that we like the couple we're happy that you know tanya didn't take a back seat but that's kind of all that's really going on in their particular arc yeah all right so kind of moving on to our next character which is cam or is he yeah uh george told us well it's never i don't think it's ever explicitly stated but it is later confirmed uh, and everything that uh, this is actually Cybercam. And that there, there's kind of hints that due to, you know, our dragon, the original cam is probably dead. Yeah. So a lot of like, this is something that I probably would not have immediately picked up upon if George hadn't pointed it out. But this is a lot of this is done through like Cam's dialogue. Because while Cam would crack jokes in... In Ninja Storm, he was very sarcastic. Yeah. Whereas Cybercam was a little bit more like a bit of a joker and kind of like little broy. Yeah, bro. <laughs> like when he says that, uh, this so, d- dang, this what, what the heck of an elixir or something. Yeah, something like that. Cam's definitely more of like sarcastic, rubbing salt in the wound type humor, whereas like Cybercam's more like chill. Yeah. So, and yeah, like I said, through dialogue, and then there's some, you see, you noticed that there were some visuals that seemed to point out that he was not quite human. Yeah, it was, it felt like, it was something I noticed is like sometimes with the morphine sequences, he would, like, everyone else would be fully morphed, but he would, they would just kind of have that bit of a helmet there and a face. Uh-huh. So I'm just kind of like, it's almost as if it's taken a while to register. Right. And then, you know, there's also kind of, like, when, when when I mentioned earlier about, you know, Ari saying stuff of what she feels with, with these characters, and then when uh, Praetor comes back and kind of says these things, what he says about, you know, Cam is, Camera Wananabi, hollow and numb, a suit of armor with no one inside, who would cry for you if you were gone. And yeah. it really kind of hit, it's like, there's no one inside. It's like, yeah, it's a holographic projection. Yeah, because it's like, because Cam, like, Cam's insecurities in Ninja Storm were not that, like, there was nothing going on with him, that there was nothing inside. It was that, like, it's the fact that he was kind of being, like, overly protected by his father and wanted to, like, show that he was somebody. You know, and, somebody like, in, and, you know, he's also never, I think, got privy to much of a normal life. Uh-huh. So, you know, he never got to have friends outside of where his dad was, you know, and he, like, the one of the reasons he created Cybercam was almost this witch fulfillment of, like, man, I wish I was like you guys and did sports and was cool instead of being a weird nerd. Yeah, so, like, uh, so all of a sudden to pivot from, you know, Cam feeling like an outsider to saying that he specifically feels like he's numb inside and that there's like he feels like there's nothing inside of him it's like ha huh, that's really pointed 
Yeah, it's it's almost just like that's that's a little that's very on the nose. I also want to point out with like Cam later in Ninja, like I don't know when this takes place in Ninja Storm, but once he does get that samurai power and after Cyber Cam is invented, like he does kind of warm up and kind of become his own person. Like he's able to actually explore himself a little bit better. Right. So a lot of that kind of insecurities do die down. So it's like, okay, so that was, like you said, that is a very pointed, very different thing to observe about this Cam. Yeah. So as, you know, for Cam, like mostly what he does in this is that he does kind of help out with the science stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, but he does share in the most potent elixir with, uh, with Heckle and Snide. Not Heckle and Snide. <laughs> with Heckle and Kim. Um, mm-hmm. and I think even with if it is cyber cam he's also probably also the third oldest member of the team <laughs> all i can think of by the way because it's like you know he is helping with cyber stuff that as much as he has that loose personality he still has cams like you know ability around machines and knowledge of that so i'm thinking is like cyber cam would be height for uh barbie heimer <laughs> oh god yeah okay <laughs> when are we gonna see Barbie and then Oppenheimer, dude? Yeah, he would, he would be meticulously planning out his schedule for that. <laughs> Say, like, I'm not doing Barbenheimer, but like, you know, good for you, Cyber Camp. <laughs> yeah, that's our next chart: is who would watch Barbie and who would watch Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, like that, that. Once we once we complete the McDonald's mentor chart. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, that, that, uh, that, that I do find, like, you know, a very interesting, I think, use and also kind of, like, had or something a little off about this cam. What is it? And kind of, um, just kind of having it there be more unfolded and also because, like, the characters wouldn't know this is, like, this is cyber cam. Yeah, because, like, they don't. Like, none of them, none of the rest of the team are from the Ninja Storm team. So, of course, they wouldn't, like, know about Cybercam or anything like that. Yeah. So, it's just this hologram, like, trying his best. <laughs> uh, which is, it's just kind of sad in a little bit of a way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh... Don't talk about Voyager, is what I'm saying. <laughs> It's very, very reminiscent, I guess, of early season, or really more mid-season uh, Doctor, the Doctor character, because he was the EMH program who kind of had to become their full-time Doctor right. on the ship. So, um, you know, it's like, you're trying your best to be human, except nobody knows he's just this weird holographic projection of Cam. <laughs> See, we it's both like, No made one s- knows I'm actually hologram. <laughs> oh, now I'm just imagining that meme. <laughs> Yes, we might have to make that meme. <laughs> all right, uh, I think we've covered all we can about Cam, so I guess we move on to our, well, not the last member of the team, but, like, the last member of the team that, like, was a already established ranger, and that's Andros. Uh, I, we pointed out he did so little for this, that I'm just like, okay, so, uh, who was the other one? Was it Carone? <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, Sid, Andros was on the team. We can't forget about Andros. Uh, which and I I'm was like, like, I thought Caron was the, like, I know Andros was in the comic, but I thought Caron was more in, in the capacity. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, because it's like, he doesn't do that much in this particular arc. He mostly just whines. 
That's that's fine, but because there's like not much else going on in the arc, it's like, wow, this should have been Corone. Pretty much, yeah. It's like we felt like because Corone had a little bit more going on in terms of like character and plot, even though she's like not on the team. And yeah. like Andros is there as usual to be a little whiny bitch. And like I think it would have been like a better swap just because it's like Andros just really has that conflict of he's seen his sister for the first time. Crown has more conflict with her because she's, you know, she's way advanced in a timeline where, you know, Andrus already knows she's alive and shit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And so, like, and you said that, like, and I think I agree on this, is wish it was expand a little more on his conflicted feelings about being around Corone, but also knowing that this really can't last. Yeah, I think that this is, like, my one, I think, complaint is, like, I feel like if they expanded about it, like, we wouldn't just be, I one, I wouldn't have forgotten him, like. Right. Andrus was there, but I thought he wasn't a ranger, you know, it actually, like, would have given him a character conflict that I would find most interesting. And also, he just wouldn't come off as, like, like andrus you're just kind of a mean-spirited jackass sometimes <laughs> like calm down yeah like that's why i don't get why so many people are like oh my god andrus is such a great like i don't think andrus is a good character like yeah he has the conflict around corone like but since in space that conflict has not changed because it's like, it always goes back to, like, his feelings on Corone. Like, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit with the 25th anniversary special that was included in the deluxe edition. Of, like, he, like, it always goes back to, I have to find Corone. I have to save Corone. I have to protect Corone from the people who want to, like, harm her after instead of letting her grow as a person and accept that she was astronomer. Yeah, and meanwhile, Corone has grown up to be her own fucking person. That gets her own battleizer. Yeah, and like, also before I realized that this particular scene was um was them being manipulated by the Zeo planet. Yeah, I just thought Andrus was being a homophobic fuck. Because <laughs> immediately, so because like, there's that one scene where they all wake up and realize the Solarix has been taken, and they don't realize that they're being like manipulated by the planet. That's basically kind of you know make turning their brains to make them turn on each other but he's immediately like oh well remy clearly did it <laughs> it's like what the fuck she's done nothing to you <laughs> she's she's just she's just there vibing and you're like she's clearly the one's like really that's the first person you go to okay wow okay yeah that's really all we gotta say for andros i hope that there's i know there's an eventual like, they do touch on him more a bit later. I hope that it's a little bit of a kinder thing. Maybe you'll actually like Andros. Yeah, so... I feel like time has made you hate Andros more. Like, first you were neutral, and now you're like, gotta hate this guy. Well, because it's like, again, every time he shows up again in canon, it just goes back to either, look how cool Andros is, or Andros has, like conflicted feelings about Corone and he's really sad about it it's like grow as a person andros like like let 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 andros grow yeah like also let him grow another personality besides like like i'm depressed leader depressed it's like no you know it's like the end of its space he was happy he made friends yeah and when he saw in last galaxy he was happy to be around his friends again like it's it's clear he likes having friends and being around people he's not a loner 
All right. I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, you feel like his character has digressed since In Space. I guess so. Because, again, like, we don't really... Because the times we've seen him, like, so far is, like, we've seen him in Shattered Grid a little bit. We saw him in this. And we saw him in The Psychopath. And his character just always... We also saw him Forever Red. Yeah, Forever Red. And it's just, like, it's always about fucking Corone And, like, how he, like, feels bad about, like corone in some form or fashion and it's like dude she is like moving on with her life and accepting responsibility for things she has done like you don't have to you're you're kind of remaining stagnant yeah which i guess it's its own character trait in of itself but i could you know it's definitely annoying yeah so you know, let's hope that they kind of explore that stagnation yeah well, i guess that's all we have to yeah that's all really oh, do you want to continue? no that's all i have to say about andros like <laughs> okay so uh, let's let's move on to our uh, last member of the team, our newest member, Ari. Yeah. So uh, as we noted, lesbian. <laughs> she's she's very much she's very gay. Yeah. So basically, as we previously mentioned, she is the only ranger in this backwater rotted dimension. Um. So she's the solar ranger. She's the keeper of the solarix, which turns out to be a physical but unstable component of the literal morphing grid. And as you noted here, she's from the streets. Yeah, so it's kind of implied that because of morphing grid fuckery uh, and everything, like, this world, this dimension's kind of dying. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's, like, rotting. Most, like, she was a part of, like, a group of, of orphans that just kind of lived off of the ruins of a planet. Yeah. And that... Yeah, so basically, like, because they're cut off from the morphing grid, so therefore they don't really have access to, like, the wellspring of life, I guess is the best way to phrase that. Yeah. So everything's just very, like, destitute, dying. It's like, it's, okay, I know I was only going to make the Dark Tower reference when we got to Praetor, but it's like, it just gives me the vibes of, like, Midworld, of, like, the world had moved on. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, everything is just like, people are existing, they're surviving, but like, there's just this vibe of something is so off, and everything is dying and decaying, and you just know that like, everything's running on a limited time scale. You yeah. don't know how limited it is, but like, everybody's like, yeah, everybody's fending for themselves, everybody's just trying their best to like, survive, but nobody's really thriving. Um... And they're just, time's running out, everybody, and it's just, like, this dimension is just set to die at some point. Nobody knows when, but it's on its way. So, she, the way she obtains the Solarix is that basically she feels, it's it's another guilt situation, because, like, this monk had basically had caught her trying to steal food and was trying to use it, but then, like, she kind of had, like, it, it's a, like she had fallen off of something and he tried to grab her, if I remember that at right. Yeah. He tried to grab her, and they, you know, at first you think he saved her, and then, like, it's crumbled yeah, beneath it's, them. So, basically, the dude nearly dies immediately, and passed, but before then, like, passes the Solarix on to uh, Ari, and tells her that, like, she's now responsible for it. And that, like, leads to a lot of feelings of guilt, but also, like, it's a lot of fear, because she kind of has to figure out, like, being a ranger on her own, protecting this from the Praetor, and also trying to save people so it's a lot for one person to take in and she's like i am 13 or 14 years old what the fuck (laughs) 
as and as we noted with like we've kind of been talking about her a bit as we've kind of gone over all the other characters but like she's such a central character in all of this and like her story is about growing away from being scared and alone to learning to like learning love and hope from her chosen family which you know not is not just remy but also like you know ranger slayer and the rest of the rangers like that who've like taken her in and are like no you're you're a ranger therefore you are a part of our family always which again yeah. very gay yeah as well as her as well as her girlfriend yes her and remy are so cute like we didn't put this in our notes but they are so adorable they're both alien like in a way and like alarian's a little bit well she goes by ari but like her full name is alarian Ari is, like, more, like, a little more humanoid, but she has, like, these gold markings on her, which I think is, like, some, like, a consequence of the Solarix, but then, like, Remy is, like, this cute little, like, she's, like, she's also humanoid, but she's kind of got, like, these, like, she's kind of got, like, a little bit of an animal nose, and she's got ears, too. Like, they're just, it's very cute. And they're real cute. Yeah. And... They kiss in the bonus story, which they don't get to in the main comic, but they kiss in the bonus story, so therefore it's real gay. Yeah. I just, People are like, we're not sure if this is gay. Everyone else knows this is pretty gay. Yeah, because I just feel like, you know, the, the straight men reading this, I'm like, they're probably just really good friends or like, <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the sportsmanship, sportsmanship. thing. Okay. Have I explained sportsmanship on the podcast before? I know I've explained it to you, but I don't think I've explained it on the podcast. I don't know if you okay. have, but- let, let's cue in okay, the sportsmanship. Okay, I'm real excited to explain this because it is one of my favorite stupid things that happened in the 2021 Olympics. So, okay, so Olympics for the women's soccer game. Uh, women's soccer, uh, the bronze medal game was played between the U.S. women's national team and the Australian women's national team, and so the U.S. won, Australia lost. So U.S. won the bronze medal in that category. <laughs> not that category that that event and at the end of the game there like like a photographer got several pictures of or, okay so christy muas and sam muas are sisters and they both play for the u.s women's national team one of them is gay the other one is not so i had to remember if it was christy or sam so christy muas it was christy uh, so they got this, this photographer got this photo of Christy Muez comforting Sam Kerr. So Christy Muez is on the U.S. Women's National Team. Sam Kerr is on the Australian National Team. And there had been months of speculation amongst uh, women's soccer fans that Sam and Christy were dating. Because, like, like... Christy would leave, like, little thirsty comments on Sam's Instagram post, and Sam would do the same in return. But then, like, all the straight sports commentators would be like, oh, what a great show of sportsmanship between these two players of, like, comforting her, like, her after a loss. And, like, all of the gay women soccer fans are like, are you kidding? Like, she's comforting her girlfriend. They're clearly dating. And people are like, why are you trying to, like, put, like queerness or politics into this this is just great sportsmanship and then like two days later they did officially like reveal that they've been dating the whole time <laughs> so amongst a certain portion of women's soccer fans sportsmanship has just become a joke to refer to whenever two players are being lesbians together yeah so like 
So whenever two soccer players are dating and like get engaged or whenever like another person on the Canadian women's national hockey team like gets married to a member of the American women's hockey team. <laughs> it's happened like four times. It will happen again. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, sportsmanship. Other. That's basically, I feel like that's what's kind of what's going on with like Ari and Remy from... Uh, probably when it was coming out because i got the vibe of that a little bit is that some people are like they're not gay they're clearly not gay they're just really good friends and then like the bonus story in the deluxe edition of uh beyond the grid has them kissing so it's like nope they're girlfriends all the gays knew it now i think it was even confirmed in like the the game when they became characters like people were like well they weren't really girlfriends yeah. it's like uh like reading this yeah they are and then i just remember that whole thing it's like uh like even yeah. if other like, official sources were there's like there's no yeah, denying these are it girlfriends. like ari is gay with remy like this is a gay story they're gay power rangers get over it <laughs> I say, oh god i can't wait to get to dino <laughs> fury like soon where we're just gonna talk about like me making a joke about like um oh god what is her name izzy izzy yeah uh so it made the joke about izzy being a lesbian because she took like she plays softball and took her skirt off like as soon as she morphed and like somebody like had gotten mad at me for saying that and then i was right <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I still remember this to this day it's like you're just saying this it's like and then yes. Ashley was right <laughs> All right, so we're done talking about the uh, the Rangers, so let's move on to our mentors and allies. I know some of you are probably like, you forgot a Ranger. No, we didn't. We're going to cover it in just a second. Yeah. So our first is our is Grace Sterling, who's kind of really stepping up to the mentor role in this particular one. And you noted this, and I agree, is that she's kind of got Sarah Connor and Terminator Dark Fate vibes. Yes, and you mix that in with, like, Captain Janeway from Voyager. You know, like, I I am, I have seen so much, I have been through so much, and I'm just trying to make sure, like, shit doesn't keep happening. Yeah, and this is probably the, this is, like, the most dire situation she has been in with the Rangers so far. And that's including, like, the 1969 incident on the moon. Because, like, yeah. this is literally, like, life or death survival for, like, not just her own team that she brought into this, but, like, all of the Rangers, because like yeah yeah i think kind of i think coming back to like another it feels like a big theme of this really is also guilt and like how do you get over this and i think she still feels guilt over what happened to the 1969 team like you know that's pretty much why she built promethea and prometheus and all that like it's out of guilt and she's still working through it and she's like i am you know she's just trying her best to make sure everyone's getting home um, yeah, because, like, the big thing about Grace's character has always been that she, her promise that she's never going to lose another ranger. And now it's kind of playing into overdrive here because, oh, my God, she's got to, like, not only does, like, is she in another dimension, they are running, they're learning low on power, they're not connected to the grid, they don't know how to get home, so they got to figure out how, like, to get home with everyone alive. So it's like, yeah, no, I understand the stress. But, you know, that's, like, I, I think that's just a, such a central thing to her character that always comes back to is that Grace Sterling is never going to lose another ranger if she can help it. Yeah. 
So next is going to be uh, Tarona Washington, who was the Yellow Ranger in the 1969 uh, time period, who we have not seen in the comics since that flashback. Yeah, I think it's been hinted that she's been working with him, but it's just kind of like now we kind of have an official yeah. thing of it. Like they've been working together and uh, he's essentially more or less Grace's rock through most of this, like someone to confide in because, you know, they been through 196 that incident in 1969 together and you know it's kind of one of those like you know grace puts up that big old front you know but you know she's obviously right. crumbling and yeah Tarona has kind of just been the the very solid rock throughout this entire experience yeah it seems like he also took up a lot of like uh science study and studying of the grid and all that because of what happened like i think those like I kind of mentioned, they're kind of a trauma bonded right. together. You know, they share a trauma together that they bond yeah. together. So, all right. Uh, as we and we've already talked about her a little bit. Uh, which is Corone, which is she should have been on the team. Her story fits better. Yeah, it's like you have kind of this thing of like guilt and trying to get over the past and stuff like that. And I'm like, Corone would have fit better oh, yeah, here. Yeah, like obviously. Yeah, instead of Andros. Yeah, so for her, like, she's the first person to greet Ari on the ship. She helps out Remy by sharing her experiences. Yeah. And I think you do get to see, like, we talked about it a little bit with Andros. Like, you know a little bit of the story there that his worry about, like, he is happy to be back around Caron, but, like, knows that this can't last. And, like, for her, I think it is she does have like that conflict in like a different direction of like, you know, she's happy to be around her brother again, but like he like, but she knows that like, he's from a different point altogether. And like, he has not experienced everything about like trying to save her yet. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, this is like this. Yeah. This Corona is definitely a little bit more like she's more mature. Like, obviously she's gone through everything that happened with, in Lost Galaxy, where Kendricks had died, and she had gotten the, the galaxy powers. And, you know, she's been struggling. Like, basically, she, like that's been her, like, ongoing struggle, is trying to learn how to be, quote-unquote, good, and, like, fight against her own, like, killer instincts every day of her life. Yeah. You know, stuff that she was kind of raised right. to do. You know, which people don't talk about that a lot, about, like, having to unlearn, like, from, like, your traumatic and, like, or being raised in, like, traumatic or racist or, like, any sort of, like, environment that really kind of forms your brain and, like, you have to, when you're unlearning a lot of those behaviors. And, like, that's, that's, like, a big, like, you could kind of apply that metaphor to Corone is that, like, you know, she grew up, like learning how to be like it like practice to become like a genocidal warlord and like there's still part of that in her brain like as we established in the psychopath and like for her it's a, it's an everyday struggle it's not just a oh well i'm good now yeah i don't like power yeah. so no i'm good now uh, i was thinking something that happened recently at work uh you know it's nothing as like i was raised like bad but it's definitely one of those like i have uh, a certain trauma tendency that if i'm being sternly talked to i definitely think that i made a terrible fucking mistake and you're actually mad at me 
And, you know, some of that is autism, too. But I noticed that some ways that my coworkers will rib at each other is to do that. And I don't, especially if I'm frazzled, I don't automatically right. know if you're mad at me. Like, I actually don't. And uh, one of my coworkers was like, you know, I'm kidding, right? And I'm like, oh, okay. And I was just like, sometimes I just take things very literally. And he's like, I kind of noticed that. <laughs> I didn't want to tell what's like, we don't have time to unpack what my mom did to me. Yeah. We don't, we don't have time have for time all that. All of that. Yeah, I'm a 36 year old adult, and sometimes I don't get if you are, you know, doing something that is because you're just kidding right. around. Because I was kind of, you know, you know, on top of I'm not great at detect, like looking at how a social interaction is with me. Oftentimes, when I would be said those things, those were like great judgments on me, and often lob like, "Why are you being a fucking idiot right. about this?" You know, it's like, you know, so I'm just kind of like, Ugh. but yeah, Corona's kind of unlearning the being raised by a genocidal dude. So yeah, so it's a, it's an ongoing struggle. Is all it's an ongoing, and I I do like that. At least the comics tries to like go over this stuff, and we'll go into that backup of just kind of like, I feel like Corona more recognizes that she is not as worthy of trust, and that's okay. Versus Andros, yeah, kind of just wants to push it aside. Right. I feel like we should we should go back to the psychopath sometime. Oh, sure. I would like to revisit that at some point. Okay, so then our next character is Remy, who we've already talked about. So she owns, like, a dive restaurant. I love that they have dive restaurants instead of dive bars. Yeah. She's, like, the second person to own a dive restaurant that we see. <laughs> yeah, and I also love, the like, the various, like, things that they'll say that is, like, has an equivalent in the real world. Like, she talks about, like, Starshine. Yeah. And it's like, well, they don't they don't really have a moon, so why would you call it moonshine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's like another one in there and it was just like it was, there was like obviously like a riff on something, but they gave I gave it like a spacey alien name and I cannot remember what it is right now. But uh any in any case, so she's kind of Ari's first friend being a ranger and is eventually her girlfriend. And you see that in the backup story about, like, they end up, like, meeting after, like, I think Ari, like, well, Ari's, like, doing ranger stuff and, like, Remy kind of helps rescue her and it's just basically, like, slowly, like, is, she's being the outgoing extrovert. <laughs> yeah, as I noted, it's like, despite Ari being the ranger, Remy is, she asks for no pickles. Oh, definitely. Remy is definitely very, like, bold and, like, she doesn't take shit from anybody, like, when Andros accuses her of, like, of stealing the Solarix and all that, she, like, immediately, like, not just calls him out, she calls out all the other rangers. Yeah, it's like, fuck y'all. Like, no, she she wasn't taking it lying down. She was immediately just, like, pointed out, like, one, that he was wrong, and two, the motivations that everybody else would have. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love that particular scene, and I think it just speaks so much to Remy's character. And... And, like i know that's why i said that you know i'm sure people were like well isn't she a ranger it's like well she is but she doesn't become the orange solar ranger until the very end of the comic yeah it's kind of like last minute <laughs> yeah. but she like she becomes a ranger in her own right and she gets to help protect the dimension with ari gay 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 <laughs> homosexual gay yeah it's just so much of the book is gay gay homosexual gay <laughs> All right, so we'll move on to our villains, or in this case, villain, which is the Praetor, which you made the first note, I'll let you say it. Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's a, this guy, bitch. Yeah, bitch. 
Uh, so his whole backstory is that he is a former Morphin Master uh, who basically stayed behind in this dimension and slowly got corrupted. Uh, so as the story goes, is that the Morphin Masters traced there was there was a particular devastation. So they were trying to figure out what like what caught co- like they basically had won like this like as the, it's defined on the Ranger Wiki a Pyrrhic Pyrrhic victory. Yeah. So like they they won by like they snatched um victory out of the jaws of defeat. And so they had to trace back, well, what was the power source here? And they trace back to a pl- this dimension and find a planet that's made entirely of Zeo crystals. And to make sure that nobody could access that, they decide that they're going to cut off the dimension from the Morphin Grid, even if it means that the dimension is going to die. And the Praetor uh, volunteered to stay in the Void and took a t- uh, team of rangers with him. And just sort of went nihilistic and crazy. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, uh, my sacrifice was for nothing, and, and all this other bullshit, and kills his team, and I'm just like, dude, you volunteered for this. Yeah, and like, I think he just ex- wanted the the, adorate, uh, the adoring praise of being the benevolent god emperor of this dimension. And it's like, you're kind of not doing a great job, one. But two, it's like, I get it, but aren't you, like, one of those beings who can kind of, like, not see time linearly? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, so, like, I don't know how, like, the Morphin Master works in comparison to the Emissaries, but, like, yeah, yeah it's like, you are basically an all-knowing godhead. Like, could you, you could clearly see what would have happened if, like, what could have happened if you did this. And you still went forward with it anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's... And when the rangers tried to, like, fight back against you, you just killed them. I mean, the, the original Solar Rangers, not yeah. um, not the current team we're dealing with. And, okay, I pointed this out when we were writing this episode, and George confirmed that I was right, because Marguerite Bennett had said this in an interview. <laughs> I was getting real hard vibes of the Crimson King from the Dark Tower. So, the, the Crimson King is, like, basically an all-encompassing well not all-encompassing but he's basically like this selfish god like god king of of discordia and is trying to plunge the entire all all dimensions into darkness and discordia and basically promises all of his followers that are stuck there that they're going to that the world will be the rest like basically the rest of the world will be like that and that they'll like if they follow him and like praise him that they they'll get exactly what they want but uh at the end he is just sort of a uh a powerless bitch <laughs> uh i know some people are going to be mad that i said that but it's true that's the whole point of the crimson king is that he is an all powerful dude who is just full of shit <laughs> And that's a lot of what the Praetor is. Like, he's even, like, he's crimson and psychic and, like, he has all of this power. And, like, but, like, it ultimately just comes back down to petty bullshit. And he's still defeated by a ragtag group from, like, other dimensions. So, yeah, I just, like, but apparently Marguerite Bennett is, like, a huge Stephen King fan and a huge Dark Tower fan and inserted a little bit of that into the book. And, like, yeah, like, Tower junkies can find each other, apparently. Like, that's just 
apparently a truth in life now. Yeah, just keep in mind, I don't know anything about the Dark Tower, so I'm like, I have nothing to add to this. I'll just take your word for it. Yeah, it's like everything with the Crimson King gets really interesting, especially from book five to seven. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm one of those later Dark Tower readers that, like, I got to read it all at once, and I I think I have a different opinion about the last three books than a lot of people do. Oh, yeah, I mean... I think that normally happens with people that, like, read it after it's done versus you read it as it's coming out. Because I was like that with The Hunger Games. I'm like, why did people hate this ending? Yeah, no, the ending makes total sense, like, when you read it all in one go. Yeah. Um, I could kind of, like, see why maybe people who were reading it as it came out didn't like that ending. But, like, it totally makes sense to the rest of the book. And, like, especially reading Mo- rereading Mockingjay recently, which I did, like, a couple of months ago. Like everything's like leading everything every interaction that Peta and not Peta that gail and katniss have is leading to that moment yeah and like katniss knows that she is losing gail in real time yeah and there's also like you know i was thinking of another version like another example i think was animorphs like mm. most people now understand why k applegate ended animorphs the way she did when it was right. coming out people were like what the fuck yeah, and I think I think Stephen King pointed this out on um on Kingcast is that probably just a lot of the time when people have reactions to that. I I know he's saying that as somebody who like people criticize his endings all the time, but like and I think I agree with his point about like I think a lot of criticism of endings come from people just don't want the story to end. Yeah. And I think that there's part of that is that like or people have their own particular ending of what they want in mind. Yeah, that's like a bigger one, I think, for me. Is that yeah. too? Is that like, oh, well, you know, this didn't get answered or we're going to find this out and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes just like the writer decides like you're not going to get answers to everything you wanted. Like, it's just going to it's just going to end because sometimes that's what happens. Yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 I guess one more I want to jab. No, J.K. Rowling's uh, ending for Harry Potter sucked. Uh, No, no, yeah, that absolutely did. That's, that's, that's the kind of ending that happens when you just decide what your ending is when you start the book and then you don't change it for anything that happens in the book up to that. And you also just kind of don't really have any strong political beliefs one way or another. That's true. uh, So yeah, back to that, back to the, Praetor. Uh, this is, I think, our first real encounter with a morphing master of some type. Yeah, because, like, we've, so far, like, in Shattered Grid, we were dealing with the emissaries. So the morphing masters were just not around. So this is, like, yeah, I think this is the first time in canon that we have, or at least the the, the timeline progression of canon that we've gone through, because I know uh, Power Rangers Universe takes place before all of this. Um, and we have not figured out where we're going to put that in when we, uh, in our schedule moving forward. But, like, chronologically, yeah, that Power Rangers universe takes place before all of this. But, like, in the timeline that we are reading the comics and we are experiencing the comics, this is the first time we've encountered a Morphin Master. So it's it's kind of like, well, that's not a very good uh, first impression is a uh, guy was exiled and really self-imposed exiled to kind of take care of this dimension. And he's just kind of an asshole. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know if that reflects upon the rest of the Morphin Masters, but it definitely reflects badly upon this particular Morphin Master, you know? Yeah, it's it's one of those like, dang. 
So it's kind of one of those is like for a while we've I think it's more like for a while we've been hinting at oh there's these godlike beings when it really seems to be more not to not to be on Star Trek uh but kind of like how Star Trek will look at kind of demigod type aliens is like there's still aliens at the end of the day. Okay, oh I just watched that episode of DS9 with the uh with the school bombing. Oh my god. Uh where um I can't remember her name. Like Win, like Kai Win got like upset well before she's Kai, like got upset about how how Keiko was teaching about the wormhole and the prophets. Yes. And like and specifically she was just like no, the prophets are aliens. Like this is how the wormhole works. Like and uh, of course some of the Bajorans are like that's blasphemy. Like they're obviously gods. It's like no, they're they're you know, they're like the Q or like Guinan's. I don't think Guinan's race ever was named. <laughs> oh, I did look it up the other day and I forgot yeah. cuz like she's similar to Lanth- like the Lanthanites that we would get introduced to in Strange New Worlds. Yeah, you know, they're kind of or you know, part of the oh, what's what are they called? The travelers. Even though, like, uh-huh. uh, like other non-traveler type people can mix with them. That gets weird. Uh, is that there are races that kind of have these kind of grand powers. And it's more or less like, it's just science you don't understand yet. And it feels like the like what we're seeing now with this one Morphe Master um, is kind of like the superna- it's supernatural in a way we don't understand. Or, you know, like Greek mythology where, you know, yes, these are very powerful beings. But they're also, like, full of folly like the rest of us. <laughs> Right. Okay, so according to the memory alpha, uh it's like Guinan is an Elorian. Elorian. I, I was like, yeah. did they ever like name her race officially? Because <laughs> you meet right. I think her and Michael McDowell's character from G- Generations, and I think that's it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh I mean the only Lanthanite we've met so far in Strange New Worlds is um Commander Pelia, uh who's played by Carol Kane, who is she's she's just exquisite. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like she's out there stealing art and like keeps a bunker in Vermont just in case the, like the Federation collapses. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> Any case, I think we're done talking about the Praetor. Um, I feel like we're gonna have more to say about the Morphin Masters as we move forward. I know they're a thing in Dino Fury, so yeah, we're gonna probably be uh, talking more about them this year. So we'll we'll see. You know, if they're like an alien race slash Greek mythology. Yes. Uh, so kind of our honorable mentions, it's just kind of all the non-powered rangers that are kind of hanging out on on the Promethea while all of this is going on. Yeah. Because I think we confirmed that, like, obviously Tyler is on board. Uh, Riley was on board, I think, with Chase. Um, you mm-hmm. saw, I think, Maya. I know Mia mm-hmm. was seen. Um, TJ's on there. And they make... Yeah, TJ's on there. They make multiple jokes about how much of a bad cook or uh, a bad chef that Mia is. I did like for those small interactions, like when we talk about community, it's like here are people that aren't fighting, but they're still kind of being a part of the community is like they're oh, being yeah. like friends to talk to each other. They're, you know, taking shifts, cooking. They're, you know, help repairing the ship. It's It's basically like everyone's. As somebody pointed out about, a, like, a, a potluck is everyone's here and everyone contributes, even if you are just there for the company. Right. And then, like, Connor's also there. And, like, it's probably one of the first few times I'm not, I haven't been annoyed by Connor in any sort of capacity. <laughs> Connor. 
I love that, like, God, I hate Connor, and then we met Sky. Yeah, no, Sky's the worst. <laughs> Sky wasn't there because he probably died, no. <laughs> yeah, Sky died on the way back to his home planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh yeah, it was uh I think a great way of kind of seeing kind of the uh almost like the bulk and skull type situation, but actually with the Rangers, where it's like outside of the Ranger powers, like what are people doing? Yeah, and like especially because they're everybody's just trying to survive in space with like not a lot of resources. So mm-hmm. I think it just it definitely makes an interesting sort of um, situation that we don't typically see the Power Rangers in. Yeah, um, we don't have too many uh, odds and ends. Yeah, so I think uh, we did want we did talk a little bit about the backups and the bonus story so in the deluxe edition that we got from boom studios there was a bonus like there was the backups that were the 25th anniversary special yeah which was like much most of the specials like kind of were just various stories across all of the rangers i did i do have to say i love how stupid that one dog looked (laughs) in that one story yeah i was like this isn't a rocky dog (laughs) <laughs> so good it's, 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 uh, yeah it's like uh it's, it's like we're gonna get this dog to be evil yeah and like joe Kinonas is just so good at like drawing like animals like that because there was like biggs the cat in his um his run with howard the duck with chip zadarsky <laughs> and just oh my god i love biggs so much so there is that i just i love how stupid that dog looked um uh, there was there was a story with uh, Udana and Leonbo, yeah. which was interesting. It was interesting. I definitely, I felt it was uh, like an interesting thing to kind of go into is her knowing that Leonbo is still alive. Yeah. But also I like that Teradek. Yeah. Like that was, I would like to see a Teradek based on that. And I think also kind of getting to see like the relationship between between udana and the mystic, the mother. mystic mother yeah because like at this point like especially in the, this point in the comics like we have not really seen much of the mystic mother because like obviously we're still dealing with rita as you know super evil yeah rita repulsa as like still being super evil that's like gatekeep girl <laughs> boss yeah so we have we're nowhere near where we would experience the mystic mother and then, but the one we've been talking about the most is the one where Corone is basically put on trial for the crimes of Astronema. Yeah, it's like the trial of Astronema, aptly named. Yeah, and it is, it's just such an interesting, like, basically, like, you have all of these people that, like, you know, speak out about the crimes that Astronema committed, and then you have, like, Maya and Leo and, and Andros that speak up on her behalf to talk about, like, what she has done good since then and like how I like that's always been kind of like the ongoing thing back and forth with Corone is like she feels that she is responsible for everything that she has done because like she is astronomer astronomer is not really a separate person from who she was but then you have Andros and even like others like others like Maya who are just like well like she's not astronomer anymore, so therefore she can't be held responsible for what she did. Yeah, and like trying to like regard astronomer as like a wholly separate person. Up to the, the like, and you kind of have that like fight going on when they do come, and she's like, "No, I gotta face this." And like you do hear like she's like killed entire people, like villages and shit. 
Yeah, like, she was, like, there's somebody who talks that, you know, he's the last of his kind, uh, and, you know, his, his race was a peaceful people who communicated through song, and, like, when she came through their village, she, like, they sung a song of agony. Yeah. As they died. And then was that supposed to be Doggy Kruger or like just like somebody from his like I think that was supposed to be Doggy Kruger because she mentions my wife was 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 yeah. killed. And like she ends up being ultimately responsible for Grum. Yeah. In any case. Uh hurting so uh, just like, I think it's the planet Sirius. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And so I'm just like, that's an interesting component we have not mentioned before. Yeah. She she basically uh, like was like oh yeah go you should go attack this planet Grom yeah so, and so she accidentally yeah. started SPD oh whoops <laughs> <laughs> and then but yeah so astro like astronomer Corone by like the end of this trial is like they even do the whole thing where like they point out like like. Um, cause it was like, Maya brings the, to the stand the whole thing about like, when Kendricks died and was, was killed by the pink psycho ranger, that like, she was chosen by the, the quasar saver to hold the pink galaxy powers. Yeah. And like, clearly that shows that she's improved, but like, even the defense, like, even the prosecution is just like, oh, well, wasn't she responsible for the creation of the psycho rangers? Like, is so you're saying that she is ultimately responsible for the death of your friend? Yeah. It's just like, oh, never really considered it like that. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's very, I found, like, and then at the very end, like, they put an elaborate thing, again, of how they view Astronema as a separate person. Where, right. you know, she, you know, Astronema attacks. Well, obviously, this isn't Corone, and she's been separated. And she's like, "What the fuck happened?" And Andrus is like, "Oh yeah, we whipped up a, a hologram." And does she smack him or something? I think, yeah, I think she does. She basically is just like, she was willing to accept whatever, um, whatever came down in the trial. Like, if they were going to find her guilty and, like, you know, imprison her and kill her. Like, she was like, I accept my fate. This is my responsibility to bear. She even even points out, like, I was never, like, this is me. Yeah. Which I think is, like, again, going back to, like, kind of my complaint about, like, Andros is that he just never seems to get it through his head every time we've seen him since that, like, yes, your sister is ultimately responsible for all of this. And she is willing to accept the fact that she is responsible for all of this. She doesn't need you to protect her from herself or, like, the people that are going after her. I also think of it as just, like, Andros just does not want to think that person he was fighting was his sister. And, you know, he's gotten, you know, it's one of those things that's like, I got her back. I don't want to lose her again. Maybe, and I think in a lot of ways he's just trying to protect himself and make himself feel better about loving Corone Because he is kind of black and white in how he views the world. And he's, and then you know, obviously it was astronomer. And not my my beautiful sweet sister Corone, and you know, and right. she's been so helpful to everybody. And obviously, that would you know, and, and kind of having them be two separate people. Whereas Corone's like, no, that was me. I'm Corone now, and I'm a very different person. But you know, that astronomer is still part of who I was and where I came from. 
and, you know, some ways led her to this kind of very repentive lifestyle. So right. I, de- I definitely, I've always loved how they tackled Corone. And I guess that's maybe how I feel like Andros, like, I feel like we might need to dive more with Andros mm-hmm. to kind of maybe see if he might not be so, like, trying to be an obsessed with protecting Corone, but more of protecting him as, like, he just so wants to put his own version of Corone that he's just so neglectful of everything else that he just can't bear to witness the fact that, yeah, that was your sister. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, again, I love it when they tackle this. I guess it's been my favorite side story so far is, like, everything that tackles Corone. Yeah, pretty much. Because I think so far the comics have given her more space to really, like, expand upon her story. Because we touch on it a little bit in Lost Galaxy, but, like, there's really not enough time to explore that because she kind of she comes in as a replacement to Kendrick's. And also there's kind of the whole, like, it's standards and practices of that day. Probably executives, I think, kids can't handle that type of a story. Like, you're dealing with a lot of limitations being put there. It's like, it's just better to be like, well, she was evil once and now she's good and she's good good. You know? Yeah. And now you're having, with the comics, kind of those... I feel like it's a conflict that was presented in in space when you had that episode with B, the right. monster, and he didn't really want to be evil. Right. Is now we're kind of seeing a little bit more of that explored, I feel, in this. Like, you have the Praetor in, the, in this arc, who was a good guy at one point, but then, you know, stuff got twisted with him. His own, you know, hubris, his own nihilism, and everything got twisted. He ended up being this horrible, like, fucking tyrant to this dimension and yep. now you're kind of seeing like corona when they ever they do explore corona it's normally like they never separate who astronomer was with corona right and so she she's dealing with that and she's dealing with that and I, I love it that she's dealing with it in a way that kind of is like not absolves her of that right I, I almost want to feel, I guess, theory-wise, if, you know, because she was re-brainwashed by Dark Spectre at the end of the show. So I'm kind of wondering if it wasn't for that brainwash, if she just maintained her course, if she would have gotten dusted. Yeah, like, I do have to wonder that. Yeah. Because especially, like, well, if, like, she would have really gotten dusted or not, because, like, as we saw with the Z-Wave, like, all of, like, the humanoid, like, yeah. villains kind of got to, like, live again while, the like, the monster ones were like, nope, you're dead now. Yeah, but you kind of also have, like, was Rita, you know, kidnapped as a child? What about Zed? I mean, we do know, like, stuff that they never go into but kind of tell is that Divatox was, uh, oh, what's-her-face from fucking Turbo? Oh, God. Demetra? Um- yeah at least her sister yeah it's it's pretty much implied that is her sister so it's like you know diva tax came from a similar situation so i guess it's a question it's like would this iteration of power rangers tackle that question better than that time period when it was kind of like no all the humanoids live if you're a monster fuck you right even though we watched elgar get dusted like four times yeah, because that was just that was just so satisfying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am not fucking kidding. Still to this day, that was that was just like we were in the middle of that up. Ep- we were at that episode. Like, no, go back, go back. It's like I want to watch this again. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm just kind of you know 
this this stuff does tie him to tackle a little bit more uh kind of in that muddy adult area so like i guess not only with corone but we'll see with meeting the other morphing masters yet again talking about that so obviously kind of talked a little bit about the bonus story which again was just I just like the fact that, like, it was just... I love seeing the progression of Ari and Remy's relationship. Yeah. That was super cute. I love that one. I'm like, aww. It's like, aww, gay. (laughs) And then, I have to say, this has probably been some of my favorite art that we've seen so far with the the comics overall. Yeah. I think they just... Because, like, the cult... Like, especially, like, the colors... That were like going up over and over again, kind of this like spacey, trippy, psychedelic kind of vibe. Yeah, I think it just gave such a sense of like we are out of our usual dimension and we are kind of going into the unknown here. And it just, I, I think it just gives such a great sense of space. Though I will say, having a PDF where like you can only view one page at a time, and there's so many two-page spreads. Yeah, it got a little. It got a little annoying when I was just like, I had to keep going back and forth because it was like, oh, I can't wait. There's missing. Di- there's this is a two page thread. I need to go back and like read the dialogue properly. Yeah, <laughs> which is not the fault of like any of the creators. That was just like the way that we got the comic presented to us. That it kind of just yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those like, oh man, I can't enjoy a full spread because I'm reading it electronically. Yeah, though I feel like maybe if we, I might. You know, I might go and buy this with deluxe edition later. Who knows? Yeah, we might go. We might go snag a copy. <laughs> but in any case, I think that's that all that we wanted to say. Yeah, that's about all we wanted to say. Uh, I think it, we can tell by our verdict that we really was kind of our favorite arc so far. Hundred percent. Yeah, this is my favorite arc so far, and I say this really liking the last two arcs. But there's just something about taking a break and seeing non-mighty morphin rangers that makes me happy. I love what they have done to expand uh, beyond the typical team we've read about and make this a universe that feels, like, more rich and deep. Like, it's it's not, like, like shallow or everything feels connected. It actually just feels like it's, it's rich and deep. I do also love that it is a story of hope post the apocalypse and a war, as well as, like, a queer story around found family. Something I feel that the comics uh, in Mighty Morphin can only, like really go into its full potential and that's no offense to rpm um <laughs> uh, you know because again they're they're not being kind of limited by like t- like kids tv show standards and practices uh the only thing i didn't like was i felt like interest didn't felt with the team and i feel like we could have had more time with this ranger team but yeah, maybe in the future 100 percent yeah, I well, I've greatly enjoyed um all of the Boom comics we've read for the podcast so far. I definitely feel like this is the first arc that's lived up to the full potential of exploring stories with the other Rangers that exist outside of the MMPR scope. Uh, expands the scope presented in Shattered Get- Grid while also giving this sense of depth to some of the Rangers that haven't gotten as much focus in the comics or their main series. Uh, with a small cast not bound by the MMPR legacy, it ends up weaving this richly queer tale of finding hope in the darkness and finding your people after being alone for so long. Definitely some of my favorite rangers so far. Alright, that is going to be it for this month. So, once again, we want to thank Kate Nix for our Bane theme song. 
Currently, her site, katenix.com, is still under construction. However, her link tree under I am Kate Nix links you to her band camp and streaming site, katenix.tv. She does a bi-monthly show, The Lounge, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. If you're wondering if it's an on-month or an off-month, you can check out her show's Instagram. It's The Lounge. You can watch older episodes on her YouTube channel, Kate Nix. Uh, she also has uh, personal accounts using Zinatac, which is... Uh, her name spelled backwards on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. If you want a little bit of flair and Winslow, the big, big piano playing cat. Uh, and as always, want to thank Joe Hunter for our art. He's a comic book artist who has done backups for Radiant Black, a story in Headlock Comics, Tales from the Road, and is currently working on Beast Heart Strikers with co-creator and writer Land Pitts, along with a announced but unknown uh, graphic novel for Mad Cave Studios. You can support him on Patreon at Joe underscore Hunter and, and Threadless at JoeHunter.Threadless.com. You can also find him on Twitter as Joe underscore Hunter and Instagram as Joe Bloody Hunter. I know he's also on Blue Sky as Joe Hunter, but I cannot remember his exact username right now. And then as always, we want to thank Kurt Yoder for editing our podcast. You can find him at uh, Great SG Creations and on Etsy and Great SG Pixels on Twitter. Thank you to our $5 patrons, Griffman as always so thank you so much for your support uh if you'd like to support us on patreon you go to patreon.com slash rangersplain um where we have sign up tiers for our monthly q a our sticker of the month club uh getting credited on the podcast like this or on our show notes you can find more details there and then for our wrestler of the podcast we have edith surreal uh you can find her on twitter at um edith surreal along with her website where she sells some of the most beautiful wrestling merch you're ever going to see in your life. So go and check her out. Go and support her. Her there. All right. And as for me, you can always find me uh, under Miss Kitty F on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky now. Uh, I think I'm on Blue Sky a little bit more often because Twitter is a sinking ship full of rats. <laughs> That's an insult to rats, honestly. Yeah. It's in all on all of these. Uh, you can find um, links to my link tree, which has my uh, various stores, including itch.io and my Square Shop, which is Ashley-Leckwell.square.site. Um, I'm also on TikTok as Miss Kitty F, though I kind of use that a little bit more sparingly. And you can find me on uh, most places: Instagram, Twitter, and uh, now Blue Sky under Velociriker. There normally is a link to my Etsy store, Coda's Magical Crafts, where I sell like soaps and um, candles and other assorted items all right and then for ranger splain you can find us on twitter and instagram at, at ranger splain i handle the twitter a little bit more um sid handles the instagram a little bit more i don't know where we're gonna jump with ranger splain when we have the opportunity away from twitter so we're just we're just there playing the fiddle as it goes the ship goes yes. down <laughs> um <laughs> As I previously mentioned, you can find us on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash rangersplain, uh, where you can support us financially. If you're unable to do that, we totally get it. Times are hard right now. Uh, but a good way to support us is that if you are listening to us on a platform where you can rate and review us, um, I know Spotify allows ratings, uh, Apple allows ratings, just anywhere where you can rate and review us as a podcast just do that it helps us beat the algorithm and get out to more listeners which is exciting and as always you can find our uh show notes on rangersplain.wordpress.com that's it for this month next month we are finally getting back to the main tv series with the first season of dino fury let's go lesbians until then stay safe and may the power protect you go Ranger.